Well, good morning, church. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, if you want to turn there, Acts chapter 2. So I'm going to start with a question. How many of you have been disappointed with the church? Has that ever happened to you? Am I the only one that has been disappointed with the church? If you have not been disappointed with the church, then this is probably your first day. I don't know. I mean, or maybe you're at least relatively new to the church. You know, it it doesn't happen all that often, fortunately, right? But at some point in time, if you've been with the church long enough, there's going to be a time that the church disappoints or hurts you uh, in some way. It's just inevitable. The church is people, and people are imperfect, right? This is the way the church is. And and the church is hopefully growing, hopefully maturing in their relationship with Jesus. And so, therefore, hopefully we are becoming more holy as he is holy, right, as we go along. Um, but the church is, is always going to be somewhat flawed because of just the fact that we are people. But by the grace of God, we have a lot more good days than we have bad days, right? We have uh, uh, just good qualities, more good qualities than bad qualities about us. Um, We love more than uh, we judge. Uh, We're kinder more often than we are unkind or, you know, mean I love the church. I love the fact that we get to spend some time just talking about the church like we have the last few weeks. I I love the church, and in particularly, I love my church. You know, I I love this church. I I love you is what I'm saying, right? Um, The church is good. You know, we're talking about reconnecting, and so we've just been focusing our attention on this church, our church in particular, and the first thing we talked about, just to kind of, you know, have a little bit of um, uh, review, is that the church is a place to belong. And, and I remember talking to you about, just as a, a foster kid always is wanting to have a home that they belong to. You know, that's just a desire that they have. You know, God knew that he needed a place, needed to provide a place for us. So not only is he our Father God, but he has provided a family for us to, to grow in, to mature in, to be a place to belong at. The church is, so a church is not only a place to belong, but it's also, we talked about, that it's a place to experience fellowship. Uh, and, and we looked in Hebrews chapter 10, but in the midst of that, we found that there's a place of fellowship, and the place is right here. This is it. This is our building. And it's not that we can't worship anywhere else. We can worship anywhere we want, right? We can worship at the lake. We can worship, you know, uh, at our house. We can worship anywhere. But this is the place that we come together and worship. This is what we've designated as uh, members of Westside Church Church. This is where I come together with my brothers and sisters as a community to worship. We talked about the priority of worship, according to that scripture in Hebrews. And the priority is, is this is what, where we meet once a week, right? And that's why the, the Bible there says, do not give up 
the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, or meeting regularly as some are in the habit of doing. He, he expects, there's expectations that God has of his family, you know, this place that we belong. And the expectations are that we choose a place that we gather and we choose this time that we gather at. And, and so we, we have this place, we have this time. There's not only the priority of worship, but there's a purpose. And we looked at that, and as the purpose is, is that we edify one another. We encourage one another, it says, as the, the, we see the day approaching. So before Jesus comes back, this is what we do. As we get together, we encourage one another and lift one another up. So we talked about that. We talked about it's a place to belong, a place to have fellowship. And last week we talked about the church is a place to invest. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. And what he's trying to help us understand is that he has provided a place for us to invest in the eternal. You know, and that's just what he did, right? He, he was our example, but what did he do? He laid down his life for the church. He gave everything up so that the church would exist, so that we could have this family to belong at, have this place to have fellowship at. He's given it all up. And he is still reaping uh, reward of that investment, right? The return on that investment. He's still reaping it. He's still bringing people into his, his church that he died for. And he's encouraged us to be like that too. As we, as we are involved in his church, we are investing in something that is not earthly, but something that is eternal. And, and so we realize that he wants us to do that. The church is a place to invest. Today, I want to talk to you about that the church is a place to meet needs. That's why we're here. It is not only uh, to fellowship, not only have this place to belong, not only invest, but as we do all those things, as we belong, as we fellowship, as we invest in the church, we are meeting needs of people in the church. I want you to look at Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 42 with me today. This is right after the day of Pentecost, okay? Right after the church is birthed, so to speak. And this is what it says about the church there. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, doesn't that sound like the perfect church? I mean, just walk through that here with me just for a minute. What does it say? They devoted themselves. There was just this strong devotion to what they were there for, right? It says that awe came upon every soul. 
I don't, what, is, what does that mean, that awe came? Just let that sink in for a minute, what that could mean. That awe came And it wasn't awe because there was smoke coming up from the stage or loud music coming from the speakers. It wasn't that kind of awe. It was like a, the Holy Spirit was in that place. And that's what they were awed about or from, is just the presence of God in their lives. It says there that, that they had everything, that they came together and had everything in common. Can you imagine? I mean, all these people that were just strangers and these people that were just doing life, you know, separated individually, all of a sudden they came together and it was just like there was this connection, this, this uh, harmony, this fellowship. Koinia is the Greek word for that, Right? that they just had. It says they were selling their possessions and their belongings and all of the proceeds that they were gathering together, they were giving it to the elders so that the elders would just give it to whoever had need. Can you imagine what that would have been like? The generosity that was just coming out of them uh, at the beginning of this church. You know, the world would look at this and the world would tell you, that, see, that's just the beginning of the first cult, is what that is. This isn't the beginning of the first cult. This is the beginning of the most amazing movement that has ever came to this world. It is the beginning of a movement that was stronger, so strong that it still exists today, right? And it was changing the world and it turning the world upside down. Attending church together, it says that they were doing. They were every day, daily, coming together. It also says that they were in each other's homes on a regular basis. They were just sharing life together. This, this picture that we have here is this beautiful. And what is it that God did as they shared food and they shared their hearts with one another? God just blessed them and God multiplied their what they were doing. Everyone wanted to be a part of that group. Everyone. And I need to back up a little bit because I left out something I was going to start this sermon with. I was going to introduce you to someone. But, uh, but so I'm, I was filling in for Lori in Sunday school class. And Catherine and uh, Natalie was my students, and we were talking about the creation. But before we got into the creation, I asked them, I said, well, let's share our highs and our lows for the week. I said, let's, let's start with the lows so we can end with the highs. What was the lowest thing that happened this week? And they were like, our mother left us. <laughs> and I'm like, I know how you feel, girls. It just happened this morning, but my wife left me, too. Yesterday, Lori made me drive our motorhome over to Carrying Coles and park it in their front yard. Um, they haven't noticed this yet because they're on their way home from the hospital, so they haven't got home yet. But Lori is right there. She is, she is, she's made a new home. This is why, I don't know if we can back up to that picture or not of her, but I got I to gotta share this with you. Let me see if I can pull this up real quick. So, so that is Mesa Kate, is, and she was um, 7 pounds, 7 ounces, and 20 inches long. But I'm going to see, you know how you, when you do, you take these pictures with your phone, right? Um, 
you can push on it. It's like a live picture. You know what I'm talking about? Well, let me play this picture. Uh, oh, i got to turn up the volume. How come it's not working? Well, you may just have to believe me. I don't know why it's not working. But she's just like, oh, she is so adorable. She's so adorable. Anyway, I don't know. Our only hope, church, is that Cole finally sends her back home. I I have no doubt that he will eventually, but, but, uh, okay, so, uh, this, this church, I want to, I want to try to help you understand this church is like being birthed, like it's the beginning of something. Now, I have always wanted to be a grandpa for a long time, and, and you, I think some of you know this. In fact, I take some credit for that young lady right there. Uh, it was my idea from the beginning. You know, the moment that they were married, I'm just like, when's granddaughter or grandson going to come, right? So much so that they finally said, you cannot bring that up anymore. Or you can't come. You can't come to our house anymore. And so I wasn't able to bring it up, but it was my idea first. I'm just saying. But you know, you know why I wanted to be a grandpa? Because so many of you make it look so fun, right? And you make it look so fulfilling and, and, and such a joy. And I'm just like, I want to be part of that club, right? And in fact, just after the birth of Mesa, my good buddy over here, Donnie, he sends me a text and he says, welcome to the club. And I had to, I had to chuckle because it's not like he's been part of this club long, right? He, he's a new grandpa too. And so... Uh, but it's awesome being part of the Grandpa Club. We, we were looking forward to this. I can tell Donnie was looking forward to it, too, just because of his text. Now, Carrie and Cole, they are part of a new club, too. They're part of the parenting club. Now, they've been in the hospital for a few extra days, you know. And I told Carrie yesterday, I said, hey, welcome to the club, right? Because um, there's, some, there's some things about... Uh, parenting and grandparenting, but the club. I've wanted to be a part of this wonderful club for a while. But these clubs, grandparenting and parenting, they require things. They, if you want it to be a fun experience, right, a fulfilling experience, then it requires dedication and devotion. To think that you're just going to have a wonderful experience as grandparents or parents, right, just because uh, is crazy. It, 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 it has to be fueled by a lot of devotion, a lot of effort. You know, professional ball players. They, I, I, I just love. I, I can sit on YouTube and just watch like these amazing plays. I watched one last night as I got in bed. The 100, you know, amazing plays in sports and. Uh, and it was, I get to sit there and watch those, you know, for a long time. I love watching them. But professional people, professional ball players or professionals at anything, they just make it look so effortlessly, right? Like there's just, like they could, like it's just easy. Have you ever watched Bob Ross paint on, on TV? I mean, the guy just, he says, oh, this is just so easy. You know, let's just put a tree right here. Let's just put, you know, a river right here. And he's just like doing this. And you watch him, and in 30 minutes, he has this like perfect picture. And you're just like, I could do that. 
I mean, you're thinking, I could do that, because he makes it look so easy. But if you ever tried to do that, you realize that is not easy at all. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. You know, professionals, they make it look easy. But if you asked them if it was easy, they would tell you, no, this isn't easy. There's zillions and zillions of hours that we have put into this. We have been dedicated and devoted to this. And this is why we do it. We do it mindlessly now because we've done it so much. And, and if you continue that conversation with them, one of the things they'll say is that the, the reason they did it so, you know, zillions of times over and over and over and were so devoted and, and, and so committed to it is because they love it. They loved the sport. And so it was not that hard for them to spend all of that time perfecting this, right? So back to the church. Those who get the most out of the church are those who give the most when people are not necessarily looking in and watching, right? It, it, it's the people who are constantly performing, constantly practicing, constantly putting out effort that make it look so effortlessly, you know, within the church. And they do it if you ask them, why, why do you put so much effort into the church? Why do you go to everything? Why do you do this and do that? Why are you always trying to meet needs in the church? And they would tell you, I do it because I love it. You know, they, they love their love is fueled by Jesus' love for them. That's why the Bible tells us that, that the love of Christ compels us. In 1 Corinthians, that's what Paul says, right? The love of Christ compels us. Why did Paul do all that he did and go everywhere that he did and give up so much? Why did he stay so devoted, so focused? Because there was just this love that compelled him of being part of the church. The love of Jesus compelled him. The, the, the love to meet needs and to love for, for, and look for opportunities to meet needs was fueled by the love of Jesus that he felt. And that's the way it is with us, right, church? That's where it comes from. Let me use another analogy. So Luke describes here the church in Acts 2. He, he describes it kind of like the honeymoon phase, right? Now, now sooner or later... Now, we don't have any honeymooners, but we have a couple back here that are about to be honeymooners, I think August 12th, right? Uh, and uh, I know that they're super excited. And honeymoons, mooners, they have just a glow about them, right? I mean, and, and they just have this, this love that's just radiating out of them. And it just seems like that love is effortless, you know. And, and that is kind of what's going on here with the church. But you know how honeymoons are, right? They don't last forever. At some point, and we're not wanting to discourage you, Micah and Brinkley, okay? But at some point, you got to come off of that mountain and you got to come back down to the real world where the rest of us live, right? And, and at some point, you, you're going to start feeling the pressures of the new job that you'll be in. You all thought that I was just going to be focused on that grandbaby all the time, right? Uh, they were hoping so. But you'll have these pressures of job, and you'll have these 
house pressures, you know, of keeping it functioning, like who's taking out the, the garbage, you know, and who's going to wash the clothes and fold the clothes, and eventually, who's going to change the dirty diapers, because that's what grandpas expect, is more kids, right? Um, and who does this and does that, and yeah, I'll take credit for that one too, okay? <laughs> but, uh, but the point is, is that honeymoons are wonderful. They are. It's a wonderful time. You, you should enjoy them and, and enjoy them as long as you possibly can. But they never last forever. This church that we're looking at here in Acts 2 is in the honeymoon phase. It is brand new. I mean, just a week or so before, they were nothing. And now they're like 3,000 people. 3,000 people overnight. What? What an amazing experience that would have been of just being a part, seeing Jesus for who he was, a resurrected son of God, the creator of the universe. And when you realize that and you come to that and now all of a sudden you have all these these people that are like-minded and your brothers and sisters in Christ, they were ecstatic. They were excited. They were selling everything. They were having everything in common. It was a beautiful experience. The church, as it is being described here in Acts 2, it's, it's the honeymoon stage. Let me give you one more analogy, and then we'll kind of dive into this. Early on in, in Carrie's pregnancy... Now, you can tell where my mind has been all week, right? We're just going back from granddaughter to son to now we're back to Carrie and her pregnancy. But, but, but the, the, I want to give you one more analogy of what's going on here in Acts 2. Early on in Carrie's pregnancy, you know, she was having some sonograms that were happening. In fact, every time she went to work, she would do her own sonogram. She didn't know what she was looking at, but she just enjoyed looking, you know. And... Uh, but one time the doctor was doing a sonogram, and, and she told Carrie, she says, I think you need to go to a specialist. I just scared Carrie and Cole. It scared us, you know, that she thought that, the, that Mesa's uh, heart wasn't being developed right or, or one of the valves of the heart or something. And so she needed to go to a specialist. So they went over to, to Joplin, and because, you know, everything is online now, the doctor was actually out of Kansas City, and he was just right there as if he was in person with them, looking at the same thing that the sonogram lady was showing and talking through the computer to them. But this is what they did. And at the end of that, and of course, this was like a couple weeks after they found out that there might be something wrong. But the doctor there in Kansas City says, there's nothing wrong. She's perfect. Now, he doesn't mean that she's perfect and ready to be here, right? He meant that from where she is right now, she is perfect. She's perfectly healthy, but she needs to stay in the wound. She needs to continue to develop uh, until she's ready to be out here on her own, right? Well, that's what's going on here in Acts chapter 2, is there's just maturity that needs to be developed. This isn't 
they, they haven't, you know, been baptized into Jesus a day, you know, earlier, become this church of 3,000 people, and they have all of life figured out. They're in the honeymoon stage. They're, they're brand new Christians. They're brand new, I mean, just born, right? And, and there's just some maturity that needs to take place, and maturity hasn't taken place in this church yet. And, and there's, the honeymoon isn't, is about to be over eventually here. So in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 41, we see that this, this church just became overnight huge. And it, was, it, was, it seemed to be perfect the way that they are operating. Acts 2, 46, it says they were meeting daily, daily, every day. But, you know, they couldn't keep that up. They, they, eventually, they had to give in to, okay, well, we can't get together every day because I've got to get back to my job. I've got to get back to taking care of this and taking care of that. And so they settled into getting together once a week. We find this in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. We find this in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 3. But eventually, the church gathers weekly, and that's what we do today is weekly. The church seemed almost totally dependent upon the apostles at the beginning. Like they couldn't even, they didn't even know how to live, breathe, or eat, you know, feed themselves without the apostles feeding them. They were, they were brand new babies, but eventually Paul is like, you got to get off the milk and start eating some solid food here, right? Because there just had to be this maturity that takes place in them. Later on, they, they, we, we see that the elders establish deacons in the church and then there was also God just giving people individuals in the church gifts gifts of teaching and gifts of uh, uh, you know of encouragement gifts of just multiple gifts why so that the body of Christ could continue to grow and mature and to do well it tells us that they sold everything you know that they had because they didn't no need for it. They thought that Jesus was coming back like tomorrow. I don't need this property. I don't need this or that. I'm just going to sell it all. Give it to somebody that needs it right now. Let's just meet needs. And as weeks and months went on, they realized that, that uh, they, they were running low on their resources. And so what eventually they did is people begin to set aside, this is what it says, begin to set aside on the first day of the week as they were able. This is according to 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, 2 Corinthians uh, 8 and 9. And, and they begin to do these offerings. We, we still do them today. We gather uh, offerings so that we can use the proceeds to continue to meet needs and to bless and to, you know... Um, uh, move his kingdom and his purpose forward in this world. Eventually, the Gentiles were invited into the fellowship. Can you imagine? I mean, before, at this, at this honeymoon stage, it was just a, a Jewish club, right? You can belong as long as you're Jew, but eventually it has opened up. God is always God's intention was for everybody in the world to come into a place to be his family, to be in, a part of his church. 
But that brought all kinds of craziness, if you can imagine, because the Jews thought you had to be circumcised to be part of the club, and the Gentiles were like, that looks too painful. I have nothing to do with that, right? But the saints in Jerusalem, did, did, they did not yet grasp the fact that the church was to be made up of Jews and Gentiles. And so they didn't even want to invite the Gentiles in. And it wasn't until, you know, like Acts 7, after the, the, the stoning of Stephen, that the Gentiles were even invited into this church that we're looking at here in Acts 2. But by Acts 10, 11, and especially by 13, Gentiles were coming in by the groves also. It wasn't just the Jews now that occupied the church. And it just created, you know, just some more growing opportunities, more maturing opportunities. Here's what I'm trying to say is, is that this church that we are looking at here in Acts 2, it's, it's the most beautiful picture of the church that we will ever have. They were doing everything perfect. They were loving each other perfectly. They were giving for each other's needs perfectly. They had everything in common. There was awe that was just upon every soul, right? God was multiplying them. It couldn't be more perfect. It was the honeymoon stage, and so therefore it was like the perfect example of a relationship. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know how your relationship works, but Lori and I's relationship is just getting better and better as it goes on. But at the same time, we're always trying to get back to the way it was at the beginning. You see what I'm saying? The, the love can't be any more um, uh, passionate and genuine than, than at the very beginning. Not that it was perfect. It, wasn't, it lacked maturity, right? There's this, when you grow old with somebody, there's this, this, some, a, love, a mature love that is developed there. So no doubt, I'm, but, but at the same time, man, you, you would lay down your life for your bride, right? In fact, that is what you're saying when you're up there, you know, on, on the, the podium or whatever, you're making your vows to death do us part, you know, for sickness, you know, for, uh, I don't even remember, <laughs> whatever I say, <laughs> I'm good. Anyway, I'll have it down, Micah, I promise, okay, <laughs> by the 12th. But you know what I mean. These vows that we are making to each other, they are meant to be forever, and you're devoting yourself to them everything. And then you just go through life, and with maturity comes a lot of challenges, and you're always just trying to take it back to that perfect moment, right? And that's the way it is, I think, with the church. This is a perfect example. It's a honeymoon example, but it should be something that we're always striving to be back to. We're always striving to, to come into this place and be in just all of God, not all of, you know, the performance here on stage, but all of God. We're just always trying to get back to a place where we just give, not because we are forced to give, but we give because we love to give. We love to be like Jesus in this way, and we want to meet needs. And we want to have this in common with each other. We want to be acting like, like a loving family towards one another, wishing the best for each other, and trying to help each other get there, right? And so this is our example of what we 
we're called to be is like this. And we're not perfect. And this church finds out pretty quick that they're not perfect either. There's a lot of growing that needs to take place. But they continue to work on it with Paul's help and with some of the other disciples and the apostles' help. It paints a perfect picture, though. You see, the church was called to meet needs. That's really my only point today. It's just to really try to get that into, you know, our thinking is that that's what we're called to do is to meet needs. I just want to read that to you one more time before we close out. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. If you want to get the most out of the church, you have to devote yourself, right? To the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There was just power that was coming out from them. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. And everybody wanted to be a part of that church. I would have wanted to be a part of that church, would you? They were just doing life together. They were meeting needs. And that's the beauty of it because it's God's design. And God designed the church not only to be his family and give, them, give us a place to belong, give us a place for fellowship, give us a place to invest for eternal things and not just temporal things, right? But he also has given us this place to meet one another's needs. The church is an ever-moving, living organism that is meeting needs because of our strong connection to Jesus and each other. That might have been the most powerful sentence I've ever come up with. The church is an ever-moving, living organism that is meeting needs because of our strong connection to Jesus and each other. And that makes it a beautiful place to connect. And that's what we're really talking about here recently, right? Is how to reconnect. And part of the ways that we reconnect is just by looking for opportunities within our church to meet needs within our church of each other. I want to give you an example. And this is... This is me trying to give a quick example, okay? And this is also me giving you just my experience. Um, but I want, I want to give you an example of this within our church. My, my buddy Dub, he called me up uh, about a week and a half ago maybe or something like that. And he's, he had some tree problems. His trees had gotten, I bet a lot of you had this problem because this seems like the trees are growing like crazy this year. I trimmed my trees a couple times because they just keep sagging down even more uh, with the weight of so much growth that is going on. But he had, his was growing into the neighbor. The neighbor couldn't even get in through their car. 
<laughs> unless they park on the far side of their driveway. Uh, right, Bonnie? Because <laughs> Bonnie's granddaughter was a neighbor, is a neighbor. But, uh, and so he was wanting to take care of this issue. And so he's, he calls me up and he says, hey, bud. And I said, what's going on? He says, uh, can you bring your chainsaw over and help me trim these trees? Now that is like saying get them to my, like for me to say get them to my dog Annabelle when it's duck season, right? I mean, when somebody says, hey, can you bring your chainsaw over? I'm just like, yeah, I can do that. And so I was like, yeah, I can do that. And, and I was just like canceling everything in my head just so that I could get over there to help him. And, and uh, but we, we come up with the time and I, we went over there, filled up the trailer, took it out to the house and dumped it on my uh, burn pile. And so I did this with joy in my heart. He felt so much gratitude that he took me out to eat. You know, I was like, well, okay, well, I don't even know <laughs> why we're doing this, but that's all right. This is awesome. So we went out to eat. And uh, uh, so then we went and dumped the, the things. And as we were going out there to dump the tree limbs, he was asking, well, what do you got going on today? And I was like, well, I'm going to go over to Joni's and, and help her with her, her steps because her steps have just kind of deteriorated over the years. And so I'm just going to work on them. And he noticed the wood that was in the back of my truck. And he's like, I want to go. And I was like, okay, let's go. And uh, so he and Jeremiah and I went over and we fixed Joni's steps. Now, all this is happening. Why? Because I belong to this church, because Dub belongs to this church, because Joni belongs to this church. You see what I'm saying? This is just a way, this is just a normal functioning of our church. And, and, and this is, you know, like later uh, that week, Dub uh, and his family got to go to Cancun for vacation. They were celebrating their 30th wedding anniversary. And so they took the family there. And I had called him up and said, hey, Lori and I were wanting to take the younger youth um, over to your house to do like a cookout and use your pool. And he had invited us over sometime. He's like, well, we're not going to be there, but do it. I was like, no, I'm not going to do it while you're not there. He says, you do it. And so he's like, show me where the keys are. Actually, the combination, it's not keys, but... um, and how to operate the grill and all this stuff. And so we had a pool party without Dub and, his, and uh, Neat there. Why? Because I'm a part of this church. You know, I, I could tell you hundreds and hundreds of stories just like that. You know, this past winter, Bob and Bob got COVID. And Bob, I, well, you were like a creeble. You are in like the hospital like 21 days, I think. Is that right? And... and Bob Cowan, he got COVID, but right after that, he got a pacemaker and almost got through that time. And then he, the door whacked him and he had to go back and get the, the leads reconnected. And so it put both of them out of doing chores for quite some time. And, and MR and I got the opportunity to do chores. But let me tell you, uh, that was the coldest winter I think I've ever experienced. And... I didn't really know a whole lot. I'm so glad MR was like the lead man on that job, right? Because I wouldn't have had a clue. How do you start a diesel in that weather? Even MR couldn't figure that one out, right? Um, But uh, we got to do these chores for several weeks for them. Happy to do it. In fact, it was a time where I felt like MR and I really got to bond in the midst of that. And why did we do that? Because we're part of this church. You know, just last week, I had four uh, trucks of gravel hauled to my house. Now, this is how I don't think ahead on all things. But uh, 
the truck shows up, dumps a big old pile of gravel, and I'm just looking at him like, I thought you were going to spread it. He says, well, don't you have a tractor? I'm like, no, I don't have a tractor. And so in my panic, I try calling him more. He's out of town. Uh, and I called Bob, and Bob and Bob had a tractor there within just, I don't know, a little short period of time. And I'm spreading this gravel, getting ready for the next truck to arrive. And why? Because I'm a part of this church. This, you see that there is just a, a reoccurring. I'm just telling you in a short period of time, this is just stuff that we could go on for days and days and days and talk about. All of this is because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are just seeing opportunities and needs and we're meeting needs. This is what we do. When Lori spent 27 days in Kansas City with her brain tumor ordeal, and it was quite an ordeal, you guys prayed for us and blessed us like crazy. Watched our kids that we couldn't be here to watch. Took care of things. And I'm just speaking from my own experience. But this is, it doesn't, it's not just my experience. You know, yesterday, Eva, we got to celebrate Eva's 90th birthday here. And it was awesome. And, and I got to see Scott and Vicki. I haven't seen Scott and Vicki in a long time. They, they live in Copan, which isn't very far away, but our paths just haven't crossed. They haven't come to church here because of the distance. And they've tried a few different churches. I don't even know for sure where they're going, but you know who knows all about them? Sean and Jane. Because they have stayed connected with them all the way through this time. They go on trips together. They, they go out to eat together. They, they spend time still doing life together. Why? Because... They are brothers and sisters in Christ that was a part of this church. And this, and many of you have stories like that as well. I mean, I, I went and saw Joanne Barg this past week. And we were just sitting there at home, and we were just catching up. And um, she hadn't been here in a long time. And most of it is due to, I mean, there's a couple things uh, you know, that, that prevents that, but, but most of it's just a fear of being, getting sick and being around COVID, you know, COVID things and stuff like that. But that doesn't mean that she has been forgotten, right? And the reason is, is because Dee and Judy over here, every Tuesday, you guys go get her and, and the rest of the family, and they go to Brahms and they eat together. Judy makes phone calls every night, and I know at least two people that you make phone calls and, and, and just wish them good night, right, and kind of tuck them into bed over the phone, but that's Joanne and Sherry. That'd be my guess that the list is probably longer than that uh, uh, with Judy, but the thing is, is why does she do that? Because she sees it's a place that she can try to meet needs and let people know, I think about you, I care about you, I want to help. And this is just something that, again, we could spend hours if we really wanted to try to find everything that we do among each other. And why are we doing all of this? It's because the love of Christ compels us to be a church. And what is it that we do as a church? We look for opportunities to meet needs. We may have visitors here today. In fact, I know we have a couple visitors here today. And maybe you're wondering if you're visiting, 
how do I find a church like this? This is, sounds pretty cool to me. Well, here's my best advice about that. Be like that at any church. The way that we're talking, what it says here in Acts chapter 2, be like that at any church, and you will find a church like that. There's something about when you are looking for opportunities to meet somebody else's needs that it gets contagious, and eventually it even gets returned back to you. It's like planting, you know. When you plant a seed, not only do you get that seed back, but you, you create a harvest of seeds. I can never repay everything I've gotten back from you all. I can only just try to discontinue to look for needs and trying to meet needs along the way. That's all I can do. Jeremiah, he uh, just finished up his baseball season, and he got chosen at the end of the baseball season here in Coffeyville at, at the rec. Um, he got chosen as uh, for the all-star team. And so the all-star had a um, last tournament, you know, that Caney was hosting. It got canceled because of rain on a Saturday, so they ended up making it up on um, Tuesday, Wednesday. was kind of like pool play, and then the tournament was on Thursday. Uh, long story short, when Thursday came, they, we were down to Independence, Caney, um, and Coffeyville. Who's going to be the champs? And so we played Independence. Caney got a bye through the pool play. And so we played Independence first, and Jeremiah pitched. Um, he did an amazing job. I think they end up winning like uh, 12 to 4. We, did, we won 12 to 4 against Independence. Uh, pretty excited about that. Uh, right after that, we got warmed up and played Caney, the host team. And they were pretty cocky. They beat us pretty bad uh, the last time. But we were also pitching, like, not, not our best pitchers. Uh, but uh, they came pretty confident that they were going to win. Jeremiah was playing shortstop for that game. We ended up beating them 15-3. Uh, to 3. <laughs> We, we got a little excited, let's say, um, but uh, uh, it was fun. But here's, here's what I want to say about that. It was a lot of fun being a parent watching these kids achieve this and win, right? It's not near as much fun being a parent watching your kids achieve this as being a kid that is actually playing this sport. Now, as much fun as I have watching just ask Jeremiah. He would argue with me. It was a lot more fun being out there on the pitching mound. It was a lot more fun being out on shortstop. And that's just the reality of it, right? If you, if you sit on the sidelines, you will, you will have some good experiences. But you won't have near the experiences that you could have if you were in the game. That's just the reality. you got to be out on the field. The real fun in church is not watching other people have fun. I mean, there's a little fun in that. The real fun in church is being a part of the fun. It's being in the game, meeting these needs, having these experiences, knowing that you just made somebody's day, knowing that you were, you were the solution to their need or their problem. 
and you got to come along and do it and participate with it. That's where the real fun is in church. That's the way God designed it. God designed it to be a church that is, that is meeting needs as they see, being a church that serves. He designed it for that reason. Now, a, a couple weeks ago, I jokingly told you that as soon as Lori found out the date of uh, this young couple back here, uh, August 12th, and that it was going to be in North Carolina and that they were going to be moving North Carolina, starting their jobs August the 23rd. I mean, Micah, he has to have stuff planned out. And boy, he made her a little tight on us as far as this planning stuff. But, but uh, we, are, we cannot be more excited. But at the same time, as parents, when your kids are moving to the far other coast, right, um, it, it, it gets your brain thinking, oh, you know, just about, is there anything I can do to help? First thing that Lori did, you already know this, what did she do? She, like, looked up every church within, you know, 30 square miles of where he, she thought they were going to land. And already was sending texts to Micah saying, hey, have you thought about this church? And, you know, this church is like dad's church, right? But this church is like the one you would want to go to. You remember that conversation? Like, what? Uh, why was she doing that? Because Lori and I, she all of her life, she was born in the church. Me, ever since my 20s, have I been playing you know, ball in the church, out in the field. I attended church when I was young, but that's all I did. But she and I know the value of being connected and involved in a church. It's, it's so valuable. It's so needed. And there, there's so much to it. The thing is, Micah and Brinkley, when you guys get out there, to North Carolina, whatever church that you end up going, there's somebody that is just waiting for you to come. And the reason is, is because there's needs there. And there's somebody that has a need that only Micah and Brinkley are prepared and ready and willing to meet, you know? And, and somebody's going to be like, I just, I'm just so blessed that you moved all the way to North Carolina but the reality of it is, is it's the other way, too. As, as your parents, we know that you're going to have needs along the way, too. Maybe it's just because, like, you know, you're working in a rehab place, and these people are trying to recover their lives, and maybe you just need a place that encourages you, right, to give you energy to build your faith just so that you can be better equipped and better prepared to go into that place and help those people recover, Maybe your car breaks down. I don't know. And you have dub, a dub right around the corner that you can call and say, hey, man, can you come and get me? You know, I don't know what it would be. All I know is that there is no replacement of the church. You can get involved in a, a great gym. You can have great friends at work, and I hope that you have both of those right but it's nothing like the church. The church, sometimes we just, we've been a part of it so long, we, we, we lose how valuable it is. And just like family, we can take advantage of it or, or just take it for 
what do you call that? Take it for granted. <laughs> we can do that, can't we? Just because it's been, it's always been, and we've always been a part of it. But the church is amazing. I got some people in my life right now that used to be so involved in church. I mean, like, on not only on the team, but starters in the team. You know what I mean? Workers. And they're not part of the church anymore. And for me, looking into their life from the outside, I see how desperately they need the church. Why don't they have the church? Well, because they've been hurt. Remember I asked you the question at the beginning, how many of you have been disappointed or hurt by the church? And we all have. It's inevitable if you've ever been a part of a church for very long. But sometimes those wounds can be pretty severe. Sometimes they can be pretty deep. And, and I have some people in my, in my life, different family groups in my life that have, that have pulled away from the church just because of that. But I see how desperately they need the church more now than ever. I, we talk and we talk about just like things that are going on in their life that, that they just need help with, Right? And they don't live around here, or I would help. But I see that they need help with things. And I'm just thinking in my head, man, if you were part of the church, a good church, somebody would see that need that you have and would come along and help you with that. And I just know that they're missing out because of that. We have such a wonderful church, but the reason we have a wonderful church is because we have wonderful people. People who are looking out for needs, and are willing to participate and step in and meet these needs. Now, we are not honeymooners anymore. We are flawed people, and we're going to make mistakes along the way. But I love the fact that we are still operating like the church was meant to operate. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have done. You are the one who created the church, and you also were the one... I believe anyway, that have handpicked each of us to be sitting right where we're sitting today. You have created us to be family. And there's, there's times, Father, that we have the resources, the ability to meet needs. And I just pray, Father, that you would put up on our heart to just be paying attention to those around us and just looking for opportunities to meet those needs. I know sometimes, Father, it is us, it's our turn, and it's just our time to have our needs met. And I just pray, Father, that, that you would just use your church to do that as well. We, we just marvel. Maybe not in the awe, maybe, we, maybe not to the extent that they did there in Acts 2, but we still marvel at how you use the church as your hands and your feet, as your heart, how you teach those around us about your love, about how deep it is, how unconditional it is. Lord, just help us continue to grow. Help us to always strive to be that church there in Acts 2. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I can make a list very long as well of all the times that the church has 
invested in me. And a lot of you are involved in those. Wanted to throw a couple of those just little things like learning how to change brake pads, particularly when it's, I, I don't know if I've told you this story, but when it's the worst brake job that someone who's done automotive stuff their entire life is like, this is awful. And then the next week it's like, oh, he needs to move. And I help him move. Um, yesterday, was it yesterday that we were moving a bunch of furniture? Or was it the day before? I think it was yesterday. Day before? Whatever it was. I got a phone call because uh, Mike was seeing his grandbaby and that took precedence over helping somebody else. <laughs> but uh, he's like, hey, some guys are going to be moving some things and it was going to be like in an hour and a half. I was like, yeah, I can help do that. I didn't have any details as to what was going on. Didn't need him. Even when we got there, most of us didn't really know what all had transpired, why we were moving the things that we were, but it didn't matter because we all knew this needs to happen. It's people in the church, people we care about, people we've invested in, and we're going to be the grunt work to make this happen. And Devin and Jeremiah and Andrew and I, have, and we've all gotten really good at moving people. Um, so Acts 2 is a beautiful picture of that, even more so than what we've ever really experienced, and we're trying to bring back to that living, showing, and embracing the love that Jesus displayed. They cared for each other genuine ways and not with deceit. But as Mike said, it didn't take very long before somebody misunderstood what that meant. Because you, you don't even make it to Acts 5 before somebody misses the point. And we'll read Acts 5, the first 11 verses. You know this story very well. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property... And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, didn't it, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. And the young man rose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter tested her too. Tell me whether you sold the land for this much. She said, yes, for that much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out too. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came in and found her dead too, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now I'm not saying that people are going to fall down dead if you don't help, uh, don't help them. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that it's only been like two chapters in the book of Acts. Since Acts 42 to Acts 5.1. And we missed the point of community, what we were trying to achieve. They served with ulterior motives. It wasn't that they didn't give. It wasn't that they didn't serve the community. They didn't understand what community meant. And Peter even says, like, you could have sold this property, gave us part of it, kept some of it for your own. That would have been totally okay. But you lied about it and you misunderstood what this community is supposed to be. There was deceit in what you did. We don't keep track of how many times we've helped somebody or how too many times they've helped us if we understand community. You do keep track if you feel the need to be owed or 
you feel like you owe somebody else because they've helped you so much. And that becomes really, really tedious. If you try to keep track of, okay, they've helped me this one, they paid for my lunch this time, I'll, I, do, I get this in the coffee shop all the time. We've got two people that come in quite free. Did you pay last time? I don't know. Did you? I, who paid last time? And so then this conversation, I'm just kind of standing there, and they're both throwing me a, a debit card trying to get both of them to pay for it. And it just, it's this, it's, and that's not a lack of community. There, there's just, it gets tedious is what I'm trying to say. And the score never feels settled. Um, and it's not a very great working relationship. It's not a community. This does become a touchy subject for a lot of us, though, because we don't want to be a burden. There's, there's this line that we feel like we don't want to need other people's help sometimes. And then there's people that only take. And you have people in your life that are like that. There's some people in your lives that you really struggle wanting to help. Because most of the time, you never really receive anything back. And I don't hold that necessarily against them. Like, oh, I'm not going to do any more for you until you get to me. But it just makes it harder. Like, I don't, there's not this relationship because you just, any t- the only time you call me is when you need something. But there's some people in your life that it wouldn't matter who it was, what it was that they were asking of you, you would do it, particularly if a chainsaw is involved. A good working relationship makes you want to help someone. Not out of obligation, but because you're doing life together in such a way that both of you know that the other has your back. You want them to succeed. And they want you to succeed. So if at any time you can do something to help them succeed, then you will do it and vice versa. That's community. That's gratitude. Gratitude doesn't leave you with a sense of obligation. Gratitude leaves you with a sense of joy and a desire to serve. For John, in his third epistle, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. His joy was found in others' belief and their relationship and their connection with Jesus, which is what we're all about. This community that we're a part of, it's a Jesus community. It's not about us and never was. When we serve others, we're serving him. Which brings me to a passage of scripture that has long been one of the scariest passages of Scripture for me, and yet one of the most encouraging. It's in Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when were you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, 
Depart from me, you cursed, in the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And he said to them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And as I said, that scripture is always set heavy. It's, it, 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 is, it makes you, it humbles you a lot. But for those of us who serve, for those of us who find joy in others' belief and follow as Jesus did because Jesus came to serve, as a perfect example. And this table that we're from, about to partake from is where we, as his community, as a Jesus community, remember and partake in gratitude and then go and do likewise as he did and to serve. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your example to us of service. And that there is no need to keep track of how many times we've helped each other or someone has helped us. Because we do it out of gratitude and we do it out of love for you and for others. We thank you for this table to remember that. These things we pray in Jesus' name.